Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. It's good to be with you. Blessed Holy Week. I pray you had a wonderful Palm Sunday yesterday. I, I want to tell you it's one of the saddest days of the year for me, Palm Sunday, because our Lord, as prophesied in Zechariah, came riding into Jerusalem on the on the cult of the fall of an ass, and it was one on which no one had ever sat, and it was an animal of royalty. And so they proclaimed him king, Hosanna uh, in the highest. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a prophecy of Psalm 118 in the new rendering, 117 in the old. And it's the words that would be given to Messiah on his... um, coming into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom. And the Jewish people um, spread palm branches before him and hailed him as king and hailed him as Messiah. And the great, great sadness is that a week later, or less than a week later, uh, some of that crowd would be yelling, crucify him. To me, it's it's just uh, they wanted uh, the king that they wanted, the Messiah that they wanted, not the Messiah that God sent. They wanted a reigning king, which scripture um, prophesies, but they didn't want a dying lamb. And he had to come first as a dying lamb to put away sin before he could come again, and he will, as a reigning king. Um, Dom Guéranger, in his uh, liturgical uh, commentary, 15 volumes, uh, on the liturgical year, has written on Passiontide and Holy Week. And he said the past four weeks, this is prior to last week, seems to have been put uh, a premium before the intense grief of the church during these two. And again, these two began yesterday with Palm Sunday. She, the church, knows that men are in search of her Jesus and that they are bent on his death. Before 12 days are over, she will see them lay their sacrilegious hands upon him. She will have to follow him up the hill of Calvary. She will have to receive his last breath. She must witness the stone placed against the sepulcher where his lifeless body is laid. We cannot, therefore, be surprised at her inviting all her children to contemplate during these weeks him who is the object of all her love and all her sadness. I said it began yesterday. No, it began a week ago on what the church used to call Passion Sunday. In the New Order, they've done away with Passion Sunday, and they've called yesterday either Passion or Palm Sunday. But Passion Sunday began the last two weeks of Lent throughout centuries, and yesterday began the second week of Passion Tide, which is Palm Sunday. But our mother, the church, asks something more of us than compassion and tears. She would have us profit by the lessons we are taught, by the passion and death of our Redeemer. 
He himself, when going up to Calvary, said to the holy women who had the courage to show their compassion even before his very executioners, Weep not over me, he said, but weep for yourselves and for your children. It was not that he refused the tribute of their tears, for he was pleased with this proof of their affection, but it was his love for them that made him speak thus. He desired above all to see them appreciate the importance of what they were witnessing and learn from it how inexorable is God's justice against sin. During the four weeks that have preceded, the church has been leading the sinner to his conversion. So far, however, this conversion has been but begun. Now she would perfect it. It is no longer our Jesus fasting and praying in the desert that she offers to our consideration. It is this same Jesus as the great victim immolated for the world's salvation. The fatal hour is at hand. The power of darkness is preparing to make use of the time that is still left. The greatest crimes, the greatest of crimes, is about to be perpetrated. A few days hence, the Son of God is to be in the hands of sinners, and they will put him to death. The church no longer needs to urge her children to repentance. They know too well now what sin must be when it could require such expiation as this. She is all absorbed in the thought of the terrible event, which is to close the life of the God-man on earth. And by expressing her thoughts through the holy liturgy, she teaches us what our own sentiments should be. The pervading character of the prayers and rites of these two weeks is a profound grief as seeing the just one persecuted by his enemies even to death and an energetic indignation against the deicides. The formulas expressive of these two feelings are for the most part taken from David and the prophets. Here it is our Savior himself disclosing to us the anguish of his soul. There it is the church pronouncing the most terrible anathemas upon the executioners of Jesus. The chastisement that is to befall the Jewish nation is prophesied in all its frightful details. And on the last three days, we shall hear the prophet Jeremiah uttering his lamentations over the faithless city. The church does not aim at exciting idle sentiment What she principally seeks is to impress the hearts of her children with a salutary fear. If Jerusalem's crimes strike them with horror, and if they feel that they have partaken in her sin, their tears will flow in abundance. Let us therefore do our utmost to receive these strong impressions, too little known, alas, by the superficial piety of these times. And dear ones, um, Dom Geringer is writing um, uh, 200 years ago. Let us reflect, he says, upon the love and affection of the Son of God, who has treated his creatures with such unlimited confidence, lived their whole own life, spent his three and thirty years amidst them. 
not only humbly and peaceably, but in going about doing good. And now this life of kindness, condescension, and humility is to be cut short by the disgraceful death which none but slaves endured, the death of the cross. Let us consider, on the one side, this sinful people, who have no crimes to lay to Jesus' charge, accuse him of his benefits, and carry their detestable ingratitude to such a pitch as to shed the blood of this innocent and divine lamb. And then, let us turn to this Jesus, the just by excellence, and see him become a prey to every bitterest suffering, his soul sorrowful even unto death, weighed down by the malediction of our sins, drinking even to the very dregs the chalice he so humbly asks his father to take from him. And lastly, let us listen to his dying words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This it is that fills the church with her immense grief. This it is that she proposes to our consideration, for she knows that if we once rightly understood the sufferings of her Jesus, our attachments to sin must needs be broken, for by sin we make ourselves guilty of the crime we detest in these Jews. It was our Lord's cry on the cross, my God, my God, Eli, Eli, why hast thou forsaken me? That brought my mother to faith from her Jewish background. That brought her to faith in Christ because it echoed Psalm 22, which she knew. But the earth knows too, the church rather knows too, how hard is the heart of man and how to make him resolve on a thorough conversion he must be made to fear. For this reason, she puts before us those awful imprecations, imprecations which the prophets speaking in Jesus' person pronounced against them that put our Lord to death. These prophetic anathemas were literally fulfilled against the obdurate Jews. They teach us what the Christian also must expect if, as the apostle so forcibly expresses it, we again crucify the Son of God. In listening to what the church now speaks to us, we cannot but tremble as we recall to mind those other words of the same apostle. How much more, think ye, doth he deserve worse punishment who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath esteemed the blood of the testament unclean as though it were some vile thing by which he was sanctified and hath offered an affront to the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, and I will repay. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those are the words of the book of Hebrews. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be right back after the break. Continue with Dom Garanger, and then we'll have a half hour from the second break on for your calls and your emails with anything whatsoever that's on your heart. We'll be right back. 
Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue. You're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are... Um, uh, reading the account of Dom Garanger from his liturgical year on Passion Tide, which began a week ago. It's our Lord's last two weeks, in the last two weeks of Lent, which continued yesterday with Palm Sunday as he begins his walk to the cross. This is Holy Week, Monday of Holy Week. And we ended with the letter to the Hebrews saying that the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Dom Garanger continues, fearful it is. <clears throat> oh, what a lesson God gives us of his inexorable justice during these days of the passion. He that spared not even his own son, his beloved son, in whom he is well pleased, will he spare us? If after all the graces he has bestowed upon us, he should find us in sin, which he so unpitifully chastised even in Jesus when he took it upon himself that he might atone for it? Considerations such as these, the justice of God toward the most innocent and august of victims, and the punishments that befell the impenitent Jews, must surely destroy within us every affection to sin, for they will create within us 
that salutary fear, which is the solid foundation of firm hope and tender love. For if by our sins we have made ourselves guilty of the death of the Son of God, it is equally true that the blood which flowed from his sacred wounds has the power to cleanse us from the guilt of our crime. The justice of our Heavenly Father cannot be appeased, save by the shedding of this precious blood and the mercy of this same Father wills that it be spent for our ransom. The cruelty of Jesus' executioners has made five wounds in his sacred body, and from these there flow five sources of salvation which purify the world and restore within each one of us the image of God which sin had destroyed. Let us then approach with confidence to this redeeming blood which throws open to the sinner the gates of heaven and whose worth is such that it could redeem a million worlds were they even more guilty than ours. We are close upon the anniversary of the day when it was shed. Long ages have passed away since it flowed down the wounded body of our Jesus and fell in streams from the cross upon this ungrateful earth, and yet its power is as great as ever. Let us go then and draw from the Savior's fountains our souls will come forth full of life, all pure and dazzling with heavenly beauty. Not one spot of their old defilements will be left, and the Father will love us with the love wherewith he loves his own Son. Why did he deliver up unto death his tenderly beloved Son? Was it not that he might regain us, the children whom he had lost? We had become by our sins, the possession of Satan. Hell had undoubted claims upon us, and lo, we have been suddenly snatched from both, and all our primitive rights have been restored to us. Yet God used no violence in order to deliver us from our enemy. How comes it then that we are now free? Listen to the Apostle. Listen to the apostle. Ye are brought, ye are bought at a great price. And what is this price? The prince of the apostles explains it. Know ye, says he, that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb unspotted and undefiled. This divine blood was placed in the scales of God's justice, and so far did it outweigh our iniquities as to make the bias in our favor. The power of his blood has broken the very gates of hell, severed our chains, and made peace both to the things on earth and the things that are in heaven. Let us receive upon us both as to the things on earth and things that are in heaven. Let us receive upon us, therefore, this precious blood. Wash our wounds in it and sign our foreheads with it as with an indelible mark which may protect us on the day of wrath 
from the sword of vengeance. There's another subject most dear to the church, which she during these two weeks recommends to our deepest veneration. It is the cross, the altar on which our incomparable victim is immolated. Twice during the course of the year, that is, twice on the feast of its invention and exaltation, this sacred wound will be offered to us that we may honor it as explicitly, I'm sorry, I, I lost my line here. Uh, we may honor it as the trophy of our Jesus' victory. But now it speaks to us, but of his sufferings. It brings with it no other idea but that of his humiliation. God has said in the ancient covenant, Accursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Deuteronomy 21. The lamb that saved us disdained not to suffer this curse, but for that very cause, this tree, this wood of infamy, has become dear to us beyond measure. It is the instrument of our salvation. It is the sublime pledge of Jesus' love for us. On this account, the church is about to lavish her adoring gratitude toward the blood that has um, that has redeemed us, and a loving veneration of the Holy Cross. These are the two sentiments which are to be uppermost in our hearts during these two weeks. Dear ones, I, we should read this from the beginning five times over to get a right focus. I know people left the church elated yesterday, happy with their palms, going home to make braids of them and hang them up and all of that and return perhaps on Holy Thursday when our Lord will have the last Passover meal, which will be the first one, the first one of the new covenant. How I wish that we could truly stop the world and walk this time with our Jesus. For the Lamb itself, himself, Dom Geringer says, for him that gave us this blood and so generously embraced the cross that saved us, what shall we do? Is it not just that we should keep close to him and that more faithful than the apostles who abandoned him during his passion, we should follow him day by day? Nay, hour by hour, in the way of the cross that he treads for us. Yes, we will be his faithful companions during these days of his mortal life when he submits to the humiliation of having to hide himself from his enemies. We will envy the lot of those devoted few who shelter him in their houses and expose themselves by this courageous hospitality to the rage of his enemies, we will compassionate his mother who suffered an anguish that no other heart could feel or ever know because no other creature could love, could love him as she did. We will go in spirit into that most hated Sanhedrin where they are laying the impious plot against the life of the just one. Suddenly, 
We shall see Hosanna to the Son of David. We shall see a bright speck gleaming on the dark horizon. The streets and squares of Jerusalem will re-echo with the cry of Hosanna to the Son of David. That unexpected homage paid to our Jesus. Those palm branches with those drills. The palm branches, the shrill voices of admiring Hebrew children will give a momentary truce to our sad forebodings. Our love shall make us take part in the loyal tribute thus paid to the King of Israel, who comes so meekly to visit the daughter of Zion. And as the prophet, the prophet had foretold, he would, but alas, this joy will become short-lived. And we must specifically, we must speedily relapse into our deep sorrow of soul. The traitorous disciple will soon strike his bargain with the high priest. The last pasch will be kept, and we shall see the figurative lamb give place to the true one, whose flesh will become our food and his body our drink. It will be our last supper. Clad in the nuptial robe, we will take our place there. Together with the disciples, we will take our place there. Together with the disciples, for that day is the day of reconciliation, which brings together to the same holy table both the penitent sinner and the just that has been ever faithful. And then we shall have to turn our steps toward the fatal garden where we shall learn what sin is, for we shall behold our Jesus agonizing beneath its weight and asking some respite from his eternal Father. And then, in the dark hour of midnight, the servants of the high priests and the soldiers, led on by the vile Iscariot, will lay their impious hands on the Son of God, and yet the legions of angels who adore him will be withheld from punishing the awful sacrilege. After this, we shall have to repair to the various tribunals, whether Jesus is led and the witnesses, the witness the triumph of malice. And the triumph of injustice. I'm sorry, dear ones, I got a little sleepy there. The time that elapses between his being seized in the garden and his having to carry his cross up the hill of Calvary will be filled up with the incidents of his mock trial, lies, calumnies, the wretched cowardice of the Roman government and the Roman governor, the insults of the bystanders, and the cries of the ungrateful populace thirsting for innocent blood. We shall be present at all these things. Our love will not permit us to separate ourselves from that dear Redeemer who is to suffer them for our sake, for our salvation. There's the music, dearest, for our second break. We'll be back 
to take your calls and your emails right after the break. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for April 3rd. Today we celebrate St. Benedict the African. He could neither read nor write, but Benedict was gifted with great love of God and God's people. Benedict's parents were African-born slaves who converted to Christianity after being brought to Sicily. When he was freed at age 18, Benedict began doing farm work, sharing his meager wages with the poor. Many people held him in high regard for his charity, but others ridiculed Benedict for the color of his skin. In time, he joined a group of hermits around Palermo, Italy, who became part of the Franciscans. Serving for a time in the friary kitchen, Benedict was eventually chosen novice master and guardian, positions rarely held by a lay brother in those days. Benedict's leadership style reflected his humility and charity. Once, he corrected a novice and assigned him a penance, only to learn that the novice was not the guilty party. Benedict immediately knelt down before the novice and asked his pardon. Benedict earned a reputation for holiness because of his devotion to prayer and the guidance of souls. Following his death in 1589, Sicily's king ordered a special tomb for the Holy Friar. Benedict was canonized in 1807. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome, beloved, back to Mother Miriam Live. I'm live barely. No, I'm very much alive. I just got a little sleepy before the break. But this is our half hour together, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Just a quick reminder that we're not up to May yet, for the uh, semi-annual uh, fundraiser for the Station of the Cross. But if you in a position or you wish to give earlier, uh, go ahead to stationofthecross.com or on your iCatholic Radio app or call the uh, toll-free number 877-711-8500 and you can donate at any time and get a little head start in helping them on their fun drive. We have an email from Hausner who says, Mother, thank you for answering my question about death, the death penalty last week. Are you saying that the death penalty might be okay in a small island nation without a secure prison system, but would not be appropriate in the U.S. where we have the means to securely lock them up? 
He says, also, I would really love to hear some stories about your time in prison ministry and hope you might consider a whole episode on that topic. God bless Hausner. Oh, I could write a book on that, Hausner. I just uh, I just love it. I miss being with those inmates, I'll tell you the truth. Um, the um, death penalty, uh, part of that is a little mystery to me, but the church is wiser than me. Uh, the church is our mother and um, ha- does allow the pet death penalty. Um, definitely, it's a good example on, a, on an island where there's no secure prison and um, uh, people don't have the means to uh, lock up dangerous uh, killers. Um, that may be um, warrant for the death penalty, but it's also allowed in the United States. Uh, because I was in prison ministry, I know that prisoners have also killed prisoners um, together while they're in jail So and, and done irreparable harm to one another. And so I, I, need, I leave it to the judgment of God when capital punishment is employed. But it, it is... Um, only to be when it is just. Um, as far as stories, um, you know, I, I, there's so many, so many stories. Uh, I'll just mention one, and of course I was jail chaplain over 10 years in my Protestant years in a women's facility. And I had, uh, some of you may have known of Chuck Colson's prison ministry, and I brought them in. This was a women who were sentenced for a couple of years uh, on minor charges, prostitution theft and some other things. But they needed to be sentenced for a couple of years. It was more of an honor farm. And I was able, this was a first-time experiment, to bring Chuck Colson's um, prison ministry Bible study in there. And I had 35 volunteers from the outside, quite, quite a feat to get them in the jail, and we had 150 inmates. There's about 10 inmates to each volunteer leader. Um, and it was the night of graduation. Graduated 135 women, most of whom had never even gotten out of high school, never even had a GED, never accomplished anything. It was life-changing for them. It was so wonderful. It was the night of the graduation. It was a big facility, a big room, again, with uh, groups and chairs that would hold you know, about 10, 12 women in a circle with their leaders. And I had all the graduation material and the door of the building, all the material was in my office. And my office was in a bigger facility where it had a beauty shop. They had beauty shops, they had dog grooming, they had ceramics. It was fantastic, life-changing for these women that they now have a skill they could use on the outside. But the door to that facility where my office was, was locked and the keys wouldn't work and nobody could open it. And so I got the lieutenant, she sent the sheriffs. No one could open that door. No one could unlock it. Now you have 135 women, 150 inmates, standing outside their cells, outside the barracks, uh, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. This is not a good situation. It's not a safe situation because people get um, impatient 
and things can happen. And so it wasn't good, and none of the sheriffs could open it. And so finally they got a ladder. There were windows on top of the wall, and they got up there, and they started unscrewing the windows to get through the wall and down the other side, and it was already time. And one of the women came up to me, and she said, Chaplain, Kathy could unlock that door. She's in here for theft. She'd do it in two seconds. I said, you're serious? She said, yes. So I went to the lieutenant, and I told the lieutenant, I, Kathy said she'd do it. I said, but on one condition, that nobody, the sheriffs would go, and nobody could see her. And the, and the lieutenant gave permission. So I got everybody away. Kathy went to the door. In two seconds, she had it open. <laughs> I could tell you how, but I won't. In two seconds, she had that door open. And everything went on, 135, 150 uh, inmates graduated. It was a fantastic night. But I tell you, um, those inmates, I, I, I have to tell you, I love them. They're one of the most uh, uh, talented people on earth. I, I shouldn't boast at this, but they used to make me all kinds of dolls and things from... When they brought them in to me, Chaplain, we made you this, we made you that, we made you that. And a Mother's Day card signed by 700 inmates. And you know that the only way, I don't know if I should be telling this over the air, but the only way they could do all that is by stealing. And I said, but how did you get this? Well, you know, Susie works for the sergeant and, and he has extra stuff. Oh, I tell you, they're little children, but I, I love them. I absolutely love them. And God changed many of their lives, many of their lives. Hauser, I don't know if I should have told all that on the air, but you gave me the opportunity. God bless you, dear one. We have an email from Steve. A priest in his homily referred to the angels as reflections of God and made the comparison to the facets of a diamond. God being the diamond, the angels, his facets. Does this sound right to you? Thanks and God bless Steve. It does not sound right to me, Steve. Yes, the angels are reflections of God. We are reflections of God. All creation uh, uh, displays and proclaims the glory of God. We're made in his image. The creation proclaims his glory, his beauty, his design, his wisdom, all of that. But the diamond is God. We're not facets of God. Uh, so I would not, to say reflections of God's glory, I would say, but to say uh, f like facets of a diamond would make the angels part of God, which they are not. We are not part of God. Um, we have an email from somebody who writes an anonymous and says, Dear Mother, I don't think I've ever fully understood why Jesus needed to be baptized. If God knew that he was his son, which of course he did, and Jesus was without sin, which of course he was, and born of a sinless mother, which of course he was, then what was the goal here? I'm sure there is a perfectly reasonable explanation, and there is, <laughs> but I'm just unaware of what it may be. Thank you. May God bless you abundantly. Anonymous. The reason Jesus was baptized, he gave that reason. He was baptized, by the way. Baptism was not effectual. It was not a sacrament. Jesus was born under the law, the Mosaic law, where baptism was a sign of cleansing. It didn't actually cleanse. In the new covenant, God continues to give us the sign of water, but now he does, by his Holy Spirit, what the sign signifies. So now when we're baptized, we are truly, as the water represents cleansing, from dirt on our skin, um, 
it it represents now since the water affects cleansing it now represents the cleansing of our soul from original sin which god through his holy spirit does as we enter the water that wasn't the case in the old testament they were signs but they weren't sacraments they weren't effectual they weren't effectual means of grace and so when john the baptist was baptizing the people of israel he was baptizing them for the remission of sin as a symbolic gesture and god would uh, accept their repentance Jesus came into the the Jordan, and John the Baptist, who was his cousin, six months older than Jesus, looked at him and said, oh, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. I can't baptize you. John knew that he was without sin and that he was the Messiah. And Jesus said, we have to do it to fulfill all righteousness. Let it be to fulfill all righteousness. Why did he do that? Jesus, did he need to be baptized? No. Did he have original sin? No. Did he need to be cleansed? No. Did he need to be saved? No. But Jesus came and born under the law to fulfill the law. And that's why. To fulfill all righteousness, he came and fulfilled the entire law of Moses that... Um, uh, that uh, that he would be the true redeemer. So just as Our Lady uh, offered her son, Jesus, at the presentation, and Joseph brought two turtle doves as a sacrifice, uh, Jesus did not need to be cleansed, and neither did Mary. But they did it in obedience to the law. We have an email from Krista who says, Hi, Mother Miriam, I pray this finds you well. Thank you for all you do to uphold the teachings of our beautiful faith. Thank you, Krista. She says, I hope this is not a senseless question. I tell you, I don't find any question senseless, except I remember someone asking me, uh, what day did Ash Wednesday fall out? That was a little silly. <laughs> On what day is Ash Wednesday? But... Um, uh, a little silly, but I sincerely answer that it fell on Wednesday. <laughs> Sometimes where our minds are not always where they should be, so nothing is senseless. Krista says, can you explain to me what INRI, uh, the INRI, I-N-R-I, that can be found on crucifixes means? Crucifixes means, thank you, Krista. Yes, Krista. I-N-R-I. The I is the old English way to write a J. So it means J for Jesus, N for Nazareth, R for Rex, the Latin word for king, and I for Jews. So it's Jesus, king of the Jews, or um, uh, Yeshua, um, um, Nazarene, Rex, Eudeorum, Jesus, of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Uh, we have an email from Richard who says, Yesterday I overheard two people at Mass talking about how they, were, how they were wondering why girls were not allowed to be altar servers. Well, unfortunately, since um, in the Novus Ordo, they are allowed. They shouldn't be, but they're allowed. He says, I wanted to jump in and explain to them but I realized that I myself probably didn't have sufficient information to educate them. One of them also said, I've seen plenty of female altar service, and he seemed completely okay with this. 
Can you please explain the teaching around this topic and how you feel about female altar service and why? I appreciate your answer, and I hope I run into them again once you've broken this down for me so I can help explain what is correct on the matter. Thank you, kind regards, Richard. Richard, my own feeling is that there should never be altar servers. The church allows it, particularly John Paul II, um, allowed it. Uh, I, I grieved terribly when he did that. Um, there are people who are already uh, doing it in disobedience, and so he just allowed it. Um, the reason why girls should not be altar service to begin with, no female should be on that altar at any time and for any reason. No female should be in the sanctuary. None. For any reason whatsoever, including reading scripture. Um, the church allows it, but I'm saying no one should be. It lessens the reverence. Only men are to be priests. And an altar server is training for holiness in the priesthood. Girls cannot be priests. That's why they're all the service, and they fight now they want to be priests. They cannot be priests. And so it's a very great disservice to them to train them as altar service, and they're usually quite sloppy at it with long hair. I would not have it. Please join us in a prayer to our guardian angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Holy Guardian Angel, take care of our soul and body. Enlighten our mind that we may know the Lord better and love Him with all our heart. Help us in our prayers so that we may not give in to distractions. Assist us with your advice so that we may see the good and carry it out with generosity. Defend us from the insidious snares of the enemy and sustain us in temptations that we may always be victorious. Remedy our coldness in our worship of the Lord. Cease not to protect us until you have brought us into paradise, where we will praise our good God together for all eternity. Amen. Are you holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-866-628-2277. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. Our lines are open. I love hearing from you. So anything on your heart whatsoever, uh, call in at one 511 5483 or email at com. We have an email from Beth Ann who writes, Dear Mother, <clears throat> I facilitate a young woman's group that serves a wide range of ages from 6th grade to 12th grade, along with their mothers. Good. Lately, the girls have had a lot of questions regarding purgatory. What happens there? How do the souls suffer there? What is the pain of purgatory like? Some of the moms and the older girls are reading the book Purgatory by Father Shoup. But I am wondering if you have any advice on discussing this topic with younger girls in a way that will encourage them to holiness, but not frighten them into despair. Thank you for considering my question and be assured of my prayers for you in Christ, Beth Ann. Thanks so much, Beth Ann. First of all, Beth Ann, let your young ladies and their mothers know that purgatory is a gift from God. It's an absolute gift from God. The scriptures say nothing unholy will enter heaven, and we are unholy. And um, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians that he's convinced, he's sure, um, that God who began a good work in us and in them will perfect it until the day of Christ. And what is not perfected on earth is perfected in purgatory and make sure they know that it's a gift from God so that we can enter heaven and that purgatory is only for those on their way to heaven. It's a gift. It's a good thing. It's an assurance of heaven. So that's truly a wonderful gift from God. And I give the example I've given it often, uh, it helped me understand purgatory into the church, that if they can picture their brother, a little brother if they have one, let's just call him Johnny, and uh, their mother has told Johnny not to play in Mrs. Smith's backyard, but this day Johnny takes his friend and plays baseball in Mrs. Smith's backyard. He knows he's being disobedient, but he does it anyway. And unintentionally, the baseball goes through Mrs. Smith's window, and you've raised Ronnie, Johnny well. He knocks on her door, and he said, Mrs. Smith, I'm really sorry. I know I shouldn't have been playing in your yard. It's bigger than ours, and I wanted my friend and I to play, but I'm so sorry that we broke your window. We didn't mean to do it. And Mrs. Smith is very impressed with little Johnny, and she says, I forgive you, Johnny. God bless you, and thank you for letting me know. And Johnny comes home to your mom, and he says, Mom, I was playing there, and I broke Mrs. Miss window, the ball went through it, I didn't mean to, and but she forgave me okay. Now your mom would say, very good, Johnny, I'm glad you apologized to Mrs. Smith, I'm glad she forgave you. However, your mom can't let that go. And your mom has to give Johnny, your little brother, whatever his name, um, uh, chores to earn back the money to give Mrs. Smith for the broken window. He's forgiven but he has to make amends. If he doesn't make amends, that doesn't show he's sincere in his forgiveness. He has to mow the lawn or take the garbage out or do certain chores to earn the money to pay back Mrs. Smith the window. Now, it may be very expensive. Your mom may decide to help pay it a little bit with him, but he needs to do that. 
unless your mom teaches you and your little brother and everyone else, unless parents teach their children that every decision they make in life, for good or for ill, affects everyone else. They'll grow up caring less about other people. You see, if we do good, it affects other people. If we do bad, even if no one sees, it still affects them. So why purgatory? So you, let's just say you've done something wrong. You stole a pencil in school or you told a lie. Whatever it is, you go to confession. And the priest, and you tell the priest what you've done, you're actually confessing to God, and God, through the priest, absolves you. And you're forgiven, just like when Mrs. Smith forgave Johnny for breaking her window. But now you have to repair the damage you've done. So if you told a lie, you have to go to the person you lied to and say, I'm sorry, I've lied, let me tell you what the truth is. You have to make amends. If you've stolen something, you have to pay it back. Um... You have to make earthly amends. It's called expiation or to make repairs for the damage we've done on earth, reparation. And so if God forgives you in confession through the priest and you do nothing about it, then uh, the confession won't be effective. The, the, the forgiveness won't be effective. That's why the priest gives you a penance, say three Hail Marys, five our fathers, uh, go make restitution to pay back the window, whatever the priest tells you to do. It is, it's not in order that you be forgiven. It's because you have been forgiven before God, and now you need to show your sincerity and repair on earth. The forgiveness between you and God is taken care of, but you, by Christ's death on the cross and your repentance, but now... If your repentance is sincere, whatever you've done wrong, you have to make right. Now, if we die when we're 102 or tomorrow because we're hit by a car, whatever it may be, without making reparation, that's what purgatory is for because we can't go straight to heaven if we have not repaired the damage of our sins on earth. The forgiveness between us and God is done on the cross, and because we have been forgiven through the priest. God has applied his forgiveness on the cross to us through the priest. But now we have to make reparation on earth. And if we refuse to do that, that's where God has given us purgatory. We're not in mortal sin when we die. We die in a straight state of grace. We're still going to heaven, but we need to be a little cleaned up yet. And so that's what purgatory is for. Is it a place of suffering? It absolutely is a place of suffering. There's another book I'll recommend. It's by um, a Catherine of Genoa. It's called The Fire of God's Love. And Catherine of Genoa, who was shown purgatory by God, said in that book that the deepest pain of purgatory is the pain of love. Because when we're in purgatory, we're on our way to heaven. Yet our love for God, we've never been so close to him as we will be then in purgatory. We've never loved him as much as we will in purgatory. We've never been so done with sin and the things of the earth as we will be in purgatory. And we love God so much that we wouldn't dare go into his presence with any spot of sin. And so the deepest pain of purgatory, St. Catherine of Genoa says, is the pain of love, of a soul being done with sin, wanting to be with the beloved, but can't be with him yet. 
It's the deepest pain of love. So uh, no one should despair about purgatory because to despair is to turn from God. To despair is to say there's no hope. And if one says there's no hope, that's comparable to denying the existence of God. Because as God, long as God exists, there's hope. There's nothing that's impossible for him. Absolutely nothing. And if we understand that we have opportunity to make reparation for our many misdeeds on earth, even those we haven't confessed, even our unintentional sins, even we can sacrifice for the sins of others. Yes, we can. God can apply those sacrifices to them, especially coming up on Divine Mercy Sunday. It's a great, great gift that God has given us that we could be totally free, not only from every sin, but from restitution, from uh, making amends, totally from purgatory, completely, if we understand Divine Mercy Sunday. We'll talk about that next week. It's the week, it's the Sunday after Easter. Uh, our Lord himself asked St. Faustina to make sure that Divine Mercy Sunday is celebrated throughout the church, throughout the world, the Sunday after Easter, low Sunday. God bless all of you. God willing, we'll speak with you tomorrow.